0: We will read through verse 21. We stand for the reading of God's holy, man, inspired, and all sufficient work. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I will bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying on an angel. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go up to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary, Joseph, and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you once again for your word for your gospel. We pray that you would illumine our hearts and minds by your spirit, that we would not just hear your word, but that by your grace, we would believe your word, that we would repent of our sin, and put our hope our trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation. We pray in his name. Joy, joy, there is nothing more sought after, and for many, there is nothing more elusive. Recent polls reveal that depression and anxiety have swelled to record numbers. This is especially true of 18 to 25 year olds, where it is reported that almost 40% admit to struggling with depression. These numbers are staggering. Sociologists point out that this is largely due to public maladies like social media addiction or the long-term effects of masking and COVID lockdowns and an increasingly polarized and hyper-politicized culture. To be sure, these, among many other things, contribute to depression, sadness, and a lack of true joy. So what's the answer to this social contagion? How can one possess true and lasting joy? We are told by the experts that the answer lies within. Follow your heart, they say. You will find true meaning and purpose and joy. By looking within and following your heart, you will discover your true self and you will Discover your own truth, and this personal truth will set you free. They publish that it's through self-discovery and expressive individualism that you will find true and lasting joy. But dear ones, my question is, does anyone really believe this? Does anyone really believe this? Does anyone really believe that the way to true and lasting joy is through self-discovery and expressive individualism? Hasn't anyone noticed that the more our culture embraces these foolish ideas, the more depressed, the more hopeless, the more angry, the more bitter, and the more disillusioned our culture becomes? No, true and lasting joy cannot be found within. May I repeat that? True and lasting joy may not be found within. Because the deeper you go and the more within you go, the more you recognize that it's not pretty. That your life isn't one of beauty and holiness and goodness and truth. Asking joy can't be found within, nor can it be gained from the world. He was constantly making us empty and vain promises. So where can it be found? Perhaps you're asking these questions in your life right now. What we learn in the Christmas story, what we learn in the Christmas story is that true and lasting joy is found in a very unlikely place that is in a newborn baby a baby born in a crude stable in a backwater town to a nobody family and placed in a mansion here was on that first Christmas in the fullness of time the promised Messiah had come The greatest, the fullest, and the most powerful and profound moment in all of world history had taken place. But here's the thing no one noticed. No one knew it. Ever thought about this? No one knew it. For the citizens of Bethlehem, it was just another ordinary evening. For those visiting from out of town, those staying at the inn, it was a typical night. There was nothing special. Martin Luther in a Christmas Day sermon in 1521 comments that, quote, no one noticed or was conscious of what God was doing in that stable. This comfort and treasure are hidden from them. Oh, what a dark night this was for Bethlehem, not conscious of that glorious light. In our text for this morning We see that while the world was unaware Of what was happening Heaven was rejoicing Heaven was rejoicing And soon the shepherds With them C.S. Lewis once wrote that Joy is the serious business of heaven Joy is the serious business of heaven And we certainly see the angels Conducting this business At Christ's birth And inviting us all to join them The question that we must all ask ourselves this morning is this. Have I joined in this rejoicing? Am I rejoicing with a heart of faith in the incarnation and birth of Jesus Christ? Or am I like the residents of Bethlehem who are dwelling in darkness, who are dwelling in spiritual darkness, unfamiliar with the joy of salvation, Though a great light has dawned, though a Savior has been born. Well, over the past three Lord's Days, uh, we have considered what it means to genuinely confess Christ at Christmas. We all recognize that there is a kind of religious sentimentality that lingers in the air in lots of uh, churches and lots of cultures. But at Christ Church, we confess Christ. We believe in him, we actually believe what the Bible says about these things. And so we want to ask what it means to confess Christ, particularly at Christmas. We've unpacked three different texts, and from these texts, we've given consideration to three different fundamental doctrines that relate to the incarnation and birth of Jesus. Three essential doctrines that are set forth in our historic creeds and confessions. These creeds and confessions are replacements for the Bible. They're not equal to the Bible, but they are summaries of what we believe the Bible to teach. And they are summaries that have been scrutinized and confessed and believed and studied for centuries, in some respects, for millennia. And so we embrace them, and we seek to study them to understand what they say about the essential truths of the Christian faith. In week one, you'll remember, we opened John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. The Word, also we learn in verse 14, became flesh and dwelt among us. We learn from Scripture and our historic and confessions that the child born to Mary was and is The eternal Son of God in human flesh. Two natures. A human nature and a divine nature in one person. His divine nature was not an emanation from God. He was not created by God. And he was in no way inferior to God. Rather, he was God. Fully God. Very God a very God. He got not made. Being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, Mary held in her arms the One who was in His divine nature at that very moment, holding her, upholding her, and all things. Week two, we open to Matthew chapter one. We focus upon the non-negotiable doctrine of the virgin birth. Conceived supernaturally by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, Jesus was born without sin. All of this, dear ones, was necessary, since we are born in sin and polluted by sin and need a Savior who is not born in sin, but who can save us from sin's power and penalty. It was human nature that rebelled against God. And it must be thus human nature who redeems us and brings us back to God. And week three, we opened the first part of chapter two of Luke and considered the humiliation of Christ. What does this mean? The humiliation of Christ. It means that Christ condescended from the glorious courts of heaven, where he was surrounded by a heavenly host of of angels, adoring angels, and he. Thus, set aside his divine rights and privileges and humbled himself and was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born in a stable and placed in a manger. We were reminded that he took the form of a servant. That he became poor so that we might become spiritually rich. He humbled himself that we might be exalted. He came not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so in the last three weeks, we've considered these glorious, exalted, necessary, and foundational doctrines of the historic Christian faith related to Christmas. And this morning, we come to Luke 2, 8 following. And the gospel theme that we see here in this text is one of joy. It is one of joy and joy. Rejoicing, a theme that runs straight through all of the birth narratives in Luke chapter 1 and 2. We see it mentioned over and over again that there's joy and rejoicing and singing that's surrounding the birth of Christ. And we see this theme as well all throughout the New Testament. It's a motif found in the famous opening question and answer of the Westminster Larger Catechism namely, what is the chief and highest end of man. The chief and highest end of man is to glorify God and to fully enjoy Him forever. Dear ones, we were created for joy in God. Please get this. May this be etched in your minds as you meditate upon Christ and His birth this Christmas. You and I were created for joy in God. It's mankind's chief and highest end. It's the, the telos, the, the end of why we were created to have, to possess joy in God. And it's what Adam and Eve enjoyed in the garden before the fall. The sin is broken, fellowship with God. It has made us broken, as his creatures, and guilty before his holiness. So, who will rescue us from our guilt, from our sadness, from our, from an eternity of misery? The glad tidings of Christmas tell us this. So, let us turn to our text this morning. The first thing we see is a glorious appearance. A glorious appearance Look at verses 8 and 9 And in the same region There were shepherds out in the field Keeping watch over their flock by night And an angel of the Lord Appeared to them And the glory of the Lord Shone around them And they were filled With great fear One thing that I like to do when I read history I'm sure many of you do the same, is to put myself in the context, And I think, what would would I do? How would I respond? How would I have responded as a soldier in World War II? Storming Utah Beach. How would I respond if I were in the fields? As a shepherd That night Shepherds were not Unlike the rest of Bethlehem And the surrounding region Unaware of Christ's holy birth To them It was a quite ordinary Night They were out in the fields Tending their flock It was quiet It was dark And then suddenly suddenly a fiery and majestic angel appeared to them. Imagine the light and the splendor and the glory going from this dark night in the field to the splendor of the glory of the angel. he comes from heaven, from the presence of God, and so the glory of the Lord shone around him. The shepherds responded as one might expect. They responded as we would have responded. They were afraid. The Greek text states that they were phobu mega, mega fearful. But they needn't be afraid because the angel came not to judge them, but to bring them glad tidings. He came not to give them what they deserved, but to give them grace and good news, to give them the most glorious birth announcement in the history of the world. And far from being looked upon favorably, shepherds in those days were social outcasts. They had the general reputation of being liars and thieves, their testimony was inadmissible in court. Due to their occupation, they were ceremonially unclean and thus looked down upon by the religious leaders. These are the ones to whom the angel appears. From our earthly perspective, these were about the most unlikely candidates for an angelic visit of such magnitude. Why not visit the Jewish religious leaders? Why not visit uh, the princes and the kings and those in political power? But here again, God confounds the wisdom of the world. Here again, God communicates to us that Christ came not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. And for those who seemingly have it all together and are unaware of the gravity of their sins, he didn't come for them. but Rather, he came for those who recognize the enormity of their sin and guilt before God and plead for God's mercy through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Remember the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee standing near the temple and saying to God, Lord, thank you that I am not like others. Thank you that I tithe of all that I make and receive. Thank you that I obey you in this way and that way, and thank you especially that I'm not like that tax collector over there. You could have said thank you that I'm not like that shepherd over there. And then the scene shifts to the tax collector. He did not even see himself as worthy to send near the temple, nor did he see himself as worthy to even look up to heaven. And all he could say is, Lord, have mercy on me. Sinner. Christ was asked, or he asked rather, who went away justified? Of course it was the tax collector. You see, we have here the gospel so clearly set forth, even in the ones to whom this gospel is announced, salvation would be for the lowest. It would be for the sinners, it would be for those who recognize their sin and their need. For grace and so we come then to this marvellous announcement in verse ten. Look at me, the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold I bring you good news of what? Great joy. Of what? Great joy. Shall sound examine that? Who doesn't want great joy? Great joy. Where do you see great joy in the world? lasting that has death true meaning to it fear not for behold I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord and this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger what? A birth announcement. The angel declared that Jesus' birth was and is the in Greek the Evangelist, the good news, the good news for angels to come from heaven to announce it's the good news that God has not left sinners to justly perish in their sin, joylessness, and eternal misery. He sent his son to rescue sinners. To redeem us and to reconcile us to God. And again, the angel describes this as great joy. This news is a great joy. As as Peter later described in his first letter, it is joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's what Christians possess. What could possibly bring mankind more joy than knowing that through faith in Christ we... At last, have peace with God. Full pardon for all of our sins. And eternal life in the fullness of the joy of His presence. This good news, this joy, is not just for a select few. It's good news we read for all the people. For everyone. It's good news for all the people. Now, we must recognize that... When we first read this, upon first reading, you think this is just simply meaning all the people in the world, all the nations. Really, the definite article here is speaking specifically about Israel. It's for all the people. The Messiah is sent for the great joy of all the Jews, of all the people of Israel. He has come to save Israel by grace through faith. Of course, later in Simeon's song, we see the nations, well, Jews and Gentiles are beneficiaries of this good news of salvation. It is for all the nations. But here, it's speaking specifically of Israel and the need for this Messiah. And notice how the angels personalize the good news. Notice they say, for unto you is born. Notice, verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the name. The good news wasn't generic, wasn't generalized, it wasn't impersonal. The angel said it was for you. For you, Christ was born for you. This reminds us of the words from Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Jesus was born for us. Christ has been born for us. The question is, have we received him? Have we received him as our Savior and as our Lord? Have you Believed the good news. You know the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That whosoever what believes salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. My prayer this week, as I've been preparing, has been that everyone in this sanctuary will walk out with true joy. Joy that is lasting. Joy that is everlasting. Because it's joy, the joy of salvation. The joy of salvation and Christ, that you would walk out, if you came in here and unbelieving, and you'd walk out thinking I don't know why I can't even fully explain it, but my heart longs for this joy, and I'm realizing today what has been missing in my life as one philosopher said we have a God-sized hole in our heart, and only God can fill it we need him Nothing can replace him. And that is why the world is so miserable as it runs headlong after other gods of our own making. So how do you believe the good news? Well, let me ask you this. Has Christ become a stranger to you? Have you wandered from fellowship with him? Have you got caught up in sin? We encourage you as a minister of the gospel To look to Christ For grace For forgiveness Run to his loving arms Call upon him this morning The Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord Shall be saved Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord And believe in your heart that God raised him From the dead Believe in your heart that Christ was born of a virgin And you shall be saved Now perhaps you notice in verse 11 that the angel refers to Jesus by three names. That is, Savior, Christ, and Lord. Many people misrepresent the reason for Jesus coming, and they don't understand who he is. They misunderstand who he actually is. But the angel is not confused. The angel first calls him Savior. Calls him Savior. Savior. The Hutterberg Catechism, in question 29, asks this, Why is the Son of God called Jesus, meaning Savior? The answer is, because he saves us from our sins, and because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. He's not a Savior. He is the Savior. So the angels call him Savior. They also call him Christ. They call him the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He sent by the Father and anointed by the Spirit to accomplish this work of salvation for us. And finally, he is Lord. He is Savior. He is Christ. And he is the Lord. Again, out of our catechism, question 34. Why do you call him our Lord? Answer. Because not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood, he has delivered and purchased us body and soul from sin and from the tyranny of the devil to be his very um, he is not just savior to his people he is the lord he is king over his people he is the lord because he is the living eternal god of the flesh he is the one through whom god created the entire universe and he holds all things by the word of his power he is Christos' curiosity, is Christ the Lord. And isn't this why a heavenly host of angels suddenly appear? Look at me now in verse 13. So there's one angel, lots of light, lots of glory, and then suddenly a multitude of angels appear. Verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Dear ones, here on the first Christmas, you see that the focus is not on the glory of man. That's all we hear about All we see in the headlines, the glory of man. Here, on the first Christmas, we see the focus on the glory of the one true God. The one who dwells in the highest glory and splendor. The the good news comes from him. The Savior is sent by him, and his blessed peace will be among those with whom he is pleased to save. Listen to Charles Wesley's words as he puts this truth into verse Hail, the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail, the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise us from the earth, born to give us a second birth. Well, what an appearance. And as you sort of envision All of this taking place We notice in verse 15 That they, the angels went away So now Suddenly It's dark again I sometimes wonder what happened to the sheep During all this I think they probably just went nuts And were gone And had to spend you know, the rest of the night looking for them After they visited Jesus But suddenly It's, it's, it's quiet again Dark It says in verse 15 When the angels went away from them into heaven The shepherds Said to one another Let us go over to Bethlehem And see this thing that has happened Which the Lord Has made known to us It must have known exactly right ago We've Discussed before About how there was this end That there was no room in the end for Jesus family to stay in. And so they went to what would have been a, a barn or a stable or even a cave perhaps where uh, the animals of the travelers would go for the night. And that's where our Lord was born. And these shepherds would have had an idea about where he was. And so they, they went to this stable to meet Christ's child. After they had heard this Staggering announcement of Jesus' birth And witness to heavenly glory They went over to see Jesus And they responded to the good news Of the gospel in two ways First with witness And then with worship Notice that they could not keep silence And so it says in verse 16 They went with haste And found Mary and Joseph and the baby Lying on Egypt And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. They shared with Joseph and Mary what they had heard. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So the shepherds are sharing this news, and they are wondering in their heart. And Mary, verse 19, once again is mentioned, treasuring up all these things, pondering them in her heart. We are to do as the shepherds and Mary did. We are to reflect and to ponder and to consider all that's happening here. The shepherds were making these things known. Verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as that had been told them. And so these shepherds were in many ways the first evangelists. They They shared what they had heard and what they had seen. And their second response was to worship. They glorified and praised God for all that they had seen, for all that they had heard. And they now possessed true and lasting joy. That is joy inexpressible and full of glory. And I want to say this. This joy that we've been considering this morning is not the same as superficial, worldly happiness. This, also, this joy also is a joy that is always happy. This, is a, this joy is a settled confidence in who God is and what he has done to save us from our sin. And so this joy can be known and experienced through the toughest of times. Joy through the tears. Joy through the pain. Joy through tribulation. That is the joy that we know and experience. Do believers go through times of depression and anxiety? The answer is yes. But this settled joy and confidence in the Lord in good times and in, and in bad are what Christians possess who are in Christ. And it's a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Love, joy, peace. It's a, it's a fruit of the Spirit of God who dwells us. We are those who possess true joy because we are in Christ. And Notice the wonderful name given to Christ in verse 21. They will call his name Jesus. It's from the transliteration of the Hebrew name Yeshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. And so from his birth in the stable, to his death on the cross, to his hell conquering resurrection, and the empty tomb, Jesus was and is the Savior. Gregory Nazianzus, the 4th century Archbishop of Kent, Constantinople, he wrote this, quote, he was wrapped in swaddling bands at his birth, but at his resurrection he released the swaddling bands of the grave. As we close, let us remember, dear ones, that true and lasting joy cannot be found outside of knowing God. Outside of a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. God is the source and fountain of true joy. And in his presence, Psalm 16, we shall know the fullness of joy. Psalm 16, That we know in part here. C.S. Lewis said this, quote, If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. quote. Searching for meaning, searching for peace, searching for joy apart from God is a fool's errand. He made us for himself. He made us for himself. He made us for joy in God. So confess Christ this Christmas. Don't follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Don't follow... The distorted values of our culture that seem to change from week to week. One week, our culture says this is the most important thing in the world. We need to think about it, write a gazillion books about it. And the next week is something different and often contradictory to what was there the week before. Don't follow your heart. Don't follow the distorted values of our culture. Follow Christ. The one who was born of a virgin in Bethlehem. He was born to deliver. Born to give us peace with God. Born to give us the joy of our salvation. Until that day when we will know the fullness of joy. When we will stand in his immediate presence. Let's remember that his joy is our strength. Nehemiah 8.10 the joy of the Lord is our strength. His joy is a fruit of the Spirit, and His joy is what Christ prayed we would possess by grace through faith in Him, John seventeen, thirteen, as he prays to his Father that we would possess the same joy that he does. And we all know true and lasting joy this Christmas that joy expressed by the angels and the shepherds of Christ's birth and that joy that only comes through truly knowing and confessing Christ our faith let's pray our father we thank you for the good news of the gospel that Christ was born of a virgin without sin to save we who were born in sin and then to live a perfect Life in accordance with your law. That law that we fail to live up to the standards to every day. And that as a perfect, righteous sacrifice gave us life on the cross. That we would be redeemed. That we would be saved and rescued from the power and eternal penalty of our sin in hell. We thank you that Christ was born to save us from the clutches of the evil one give us forgiveness and imputed righteousness and heaven and the joy of heaven and restoring us to you, Father, and the joy of knowing you. Oh, Lord, be glorified as your gospel goes forth. Fill us with your spirit that we might not only possess joy, but give off the fruit of joy in serving others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We invite you to